I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 7 of the Parenting Aces Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we have a great conversation around level-based play and UTR this week with Greg Chambers. Greg is the director of tennis at the Ensworth School in Nashville, Tennessee, and he has run, I gosh, I so many UTR level-based play events over the last few years that I can't even count, and he brings some incredible insight into how we should be using UTR and level-based play to help our junior players reach their fullest potential. So I'm really excited for y'all to hear from Greg. Before I turn it over to him, though, I wanted to just thank you all again for your continued support of Parenting Aces and to let you know that we are supported through donations. And if you find our content helpful or useful, we would sure appreciate your financial support. There is a donation button on every page of ParentingAces.com where you can make a donation of any size through PayPal, and we certainly appreciate that ongoing support. So thank you in advance for that. And now I'm going to just chill out and let y'all enjoy this week's podcast with Greg Chambers. Greg Chambers of the Ensworth School, thank you so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. Thanks for having me, Lisa. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. We've got a lot of meat to get into, but before we jump into that, I wanted to give you the opportunity to tell our audience a little bit about your story with tennis. How did you get started in the sport and what are you doing now? Well, I started when I was 10 years old. I was lucky enough to have a mom that played tennis and was a junior uh, program, you know, the committee chairman in Richmond, Virginia. Um, you know, that I, we lived in Richmond three or four years while I played tennis, and then my dad was transferred to, to Nashville, Tennessee, and um, I just played a lot of junior tournaments was lucky enough to get a college scholarship at Lipscomb here in Nashville. Um, then I actually went to medical school for about a week, and that was not my thing. That was, <laughs> that was my father pushing me. But I did. I'm lucky I land on my feet, and I, I worked at a few country clubs as a tennis pro, and I've had a tennis director position at a for-profit club, uh, which is very challenging. Um, with dollars per square foot and the, the tennis business side. And I'm fortunate enough now to be at a, a very just incredible school, Ensworth School in Nashville, uh, where we have, you know, state-of-the-art college-type facilities, whether it's swim, dance, basketball, football, tennis. Um, and I've been – this is my sixth year at Ensworth – so I'm, I'm just, things have worked out really well for me. And I've, um, you know, through that, because of our facility and because of the support of our school, um, I was introduced to UTR and, you know, we've run some USCA and we just want to do what's best for our kids and the community that, you know, all the tennis, the tennis community around Nashville. So I'm, 
I'm at, at a great location. We also host a lot of college events at our school as well. And so you're the tennis coach at Ensworth, is that right? Well, I'm the tennis director, and I'm since I'm faculty, I have to. So it's kind of like running a, a country club or a tennis club, athletic club at a school. And we have six indoor courts, six outdoor courts. We have play site technology, which is fantastic on the in, indoor courts. Um, we're getting ready to host the D3 Women's National Indoors, which is a, a very cool thing. We've, we're not quite uh, in business two years. April, it'll be two years for our existing facility. Um, we've got about 175 kids participating in our program, but they I'm the head coach really of all the teams, whether it's middle school, high school, whatever, but I do have an outstanding staff that are tennis pros and have been in the tennis business, you know, a long time. And I've got a few, you know, younger, um, you know, former D1 players that also help. Um, some are full-time and some are part-time. So it's just, it's it's really a pleasant environment. It's, it's exhausting the hours as most tennis, you know, pros or people in the tennis business will tell you. But uh, I, have, I really am fortunate to have a nice team to work with. I am dying to come see this facility. I've looked online at the photos and I am just blown away that a school, a middle school and high school has the type of tennis facility. I mean, it's nicer than a lot of D1 college tennis programs, right? I mean, it's nicer yeah. than most. So <laughs> it, it, it really, I don't want to, I mean, I, I hate to to. I don't know, mention our donor, but, you know, he, he's the one of the founders, he and his dad of Hospital Corporation of America, probably the nicest man I've ever met. And he's just, he really wants to give back. He's very successful. He's either the or one of the most, you know, the wealthiest men in Tennessee. The family's just been incredible to our school. They have a passion for the kids. Um, and a, and a passion for Nashville. They've done so many things for Nashville, the healthcare business, um, for our school. But I mean, when we had eight outdoor courts, I remember, you know, our donor saying, Hey, Greg, jump in the car. I want to talk to you. And so we, we, we had a five, 10 minute conversation and we went over some options of what an indoor facility would look like. And it was went from a bubble to a, little metal structure to something a little nicer to something you know i just thought hey we need parking so let's put an indoor facility above a parking garage and 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 ended up about a month later i saw a picture and i was just really impressed he a he listened and then he he had some great questions but um he went to his architect and the architect drew up some pictures and it he, he chose the the high end model that we were discussing, and we the school doesn't we did need parking and um, we're kind of landlocked as most private schools in Nashville are, and we added parking. We on that building it's not just six indoor courts with six outdoor courts attached. It's covered viewing. Um, we have a golf simulator where we have a. a one of the best golf instructors, I think, in the country, probably giving lessons and 
you know, several golf bays. That's on the second level. That's that's your parking level for the tennis people. We added um, a viewing area over this our turf field, which is where we play our soccer, and we have track meets. So it we use our space very well. We've got an athletic director who's brilliant with with using space, with getting coaches, with with just dealing with kids and sports. So, and I happened to go to college with him. I went to high school with his wife, but uh, the, all of those relationships through tennis have, have just, you know, done wonders for me. And uh, I hope that, that I'm doing the right thing by the kids at our school. Wow. It sounds like you're doing an incredible job. I have to ask, does your donor have a connection to tennis or he's just... He, he he Go does. Ahead. He's a, that's a great question. He, he's, you know, he, he, t- I didn't know this, but he said, um, he played number one in his high school team. He was a quarterback on the football team. You know, back when I was a kid, I don't want to say my age, but I, I'm probably late third quarter of my life. But, uh, the, he said he played, you know, you know, football. And I'm like, well, when I was a kid, all the football players played tennis I mean they were they could throw and he said oh he he thought it was great fun and he he was real proud of the fact that he played for his high school that's a rival school of ours now and that's that's also a wonderful school and they have a real good tennis program and he just wants his school which is his high school we we're a K through 12 school but we're, we have two campuses and he's primarily the one to really you know, add the facilities to the to the high school, but he wants us to be competitive in everything, whether it's you know dance or football or basketball or base what baseball, you know, soccer. What he he shows up to a lot of the events, but he plays a little tennis. He's not, um, you know, he's he's getting a little older, so he, he can't move as well. But he has a few buddies that play tennis and a, a former. Um, tennis director at a really exclusive country club here in town. I remember he brought them out to just kind of show off his newest um, part of the campus. And I think he's real proud of it. He, I saw him this past weekend at one of our level-based one-day events in which we use the UTR ratings. And uh, he was just thrilled with the energy, um, the the close matches, and, you know, he, he just loves seeing kids do what they like to do, no matter what activity that is. That's fantastic. Well, you just provided the perfect segue to, to jump into our talk about UTR and, and how you've started using it in Nashville for not just tournaments, but also, like you mentioned, one-day events and and other ways that you've implemented the UTR system. So let's let's chat a little bit about that. How did you first get involved with UTR? How did you find out about it? And you know, how did you get started with creating events? That is, it's so strange. It's it's a great question to ask, and I'm really excited about um, the UTR. Uh, a parent actually sent me a text and he said hey greg check this out and it was right before the tennessee state qualifying and and my daughter played a lot of travel soccer but she i had to enter her in this qualifying 
and she and her mom had some friends and and that was they had just gotten back from Hawaii and I think my daughter was just sleepwalking through this USCA event and I was looking up I started to read about UTR and I, I thought it was really interesting and and I reached out to their global event manager uh Randy Jenks who I've become really close friends with mainly you know through emails and phone calls and all that we've met personally but you know he's in Florida and I'm in Nashville but he he was extremely helpful um sharing what he knew about UTR and sharing how the events work and I even took a a, a very good player UTR 12 plus to the national UTR high school championships up in uh, Boston at Harvard and I was fortunate enough to take my daughter I wanted her to look around and see what that was like but she was just in middle school but we watched um, one of our kids play in that tournament so I got to meet Dave Fish and I you know I had a lot of questions for him and he was very helpful just one of the kindest people out there and um, our, our young man had he was up 6-1 and 6-5-40-15 they're playing no ad in the third round <clears throat> and our, our guy was a little I don't know if he had sinus issues or he was sick but he, he was he was battling through but he had three match points ended up losing the match but that player that beat him won that national UTR tournament the high school tournament which I, it was a great fun but <clears throat> anyway the um, what I started doing excuse me <clears throat> what I started doing was I would after Randy helped me run a couple of events or at least introduced me to the idea, I would I'd have what they call now power subscription, which is a number and two decimals. So I would go to these USCA tournaments and I would write that number and two decimals by each kid in the draws that I was either interested in or had a player in. And I was fascinated with um, with the accuracy, I mean, I could predict the winner if the UTRs were, were you know, above 1.5. You know, it was interesting because a player may not be seeded and they would win the tournament. And so I really started thinking about UTR, what it is, and it's really not anything new. It's what what every pro at every club but does is that he they pair kids by level so level based play is utr tennis is level based play what utr has done phenomenally is they've come up with a way to quantify a player's ability and it's not a ranking but it's basically a rating helping pros if they would use it you instead of me getting blasted by parents or getting overwhelmed by parents or whoever it helps me group people that are competitive with one another and I don't have to explain well their their form is good or their technique is good or they hit the ball harder or whatever that's such a misconception I got an email today from a parent from this past weekend oh my kid seems to play down uh, when he's playing people that are that aren't as good as him well 
he didn't win the tournament, so he he wasn't the best player in the draw, but he hit the ball harder. So a lot of people really misunderstand what in tennis is good. It's the person that moves to the next round. They're the better player. Um, you know, I, I try to explain in a nice way that, you know, if I could if I could lob every ball within three inches from the baseline and beat Rafa Nadal, um, I'd gladly be turned to pusher <laughs> and take his paycheck and he could have my so, right. But, but it's it's a big misconception among parents. But the the quantification of a player's level is genius. And and I like that that it's a fluid number that is based on that player's match record and then the match record of who that player has played. So, you know, if I lost to somebody six and six and they go on, you know, to beat a bunch of other good players and they keep rising, that makes me look good as well. So, you know, a lot of back in when I was in juniors or even even after college, I played competitively a little too long. You know, I've had my hips have suffered for that. But, I mean, I played, you know, in the 35s and all the way up until I was about 40. But um, we used to talk about indirect victories. I mean, right. there, there are a couple of kids around Nashville. Brian Baker's one. As he grew up at a club where I taught. I'm fortunate to have been to some Grand Slam events with him as his guest. And, you know, I used to practice against him. And then I was just like, no, no moss, Brian. I can't handle you. <laughs> And uh, and he's just a great person, uh, Tennis Sangren, you know, who's done real well. He's from Nashville. I played his dad numerous times. I, I never lost, but every time I could have lost. So, you know, a lot of people claim, and it seems like these tennis coaches, they want to they wanna say they're with these high-performance players, and really the it's a discredit because the the high performance kids, it has a lot to do with the talent of that kid, with the commitment of the kid's parents. It's generally a, a good parent player with a good kid who has talent and usually an older sibling that's a great hitting partner that produces a lot of these good juniors. And there are a lot of coaches wanting to tag along saying, hey, I I developed that player. Well, you know, they may have contributed. I've contributed a lot to a lot of good players, and I try not to associate myself with being their coach because, you know, when you do that, whenever they lose, you, you're you're doubling up on yourself. You got to take you're going to take credit for the wins. You got to take credit for the losses too. So, you know, I just I think there are a lot of people that really want to say they're coaching high performance kids when those high performance kids are primarily responsible for their own. I mean, there are some good coaches, don't get me wrong, but a lot of people are out there selling themselves on high performance when that kid was already good the day they met him. Mm. So, but UTR is, is really, I mean, it's, it's not a new idea. I mean, when I was in Richmond, Virginia playing with, you know, when I was 12 years old, I knew exactly who I needed to be on the court with and, who was better than me and who I was better than. And, and fortunately back then the adults were very um, open and that had a lot to do with my mom being on the tennis committee at that startup swim and tennis club. But I played a lot of adults. I mean, 
back when I had my first little crush on a girl, I played her father in the club tournament. And um, it was awkward because I remember winning that match and, and all of the adults giving him a hard time. But, you know, that we truly had a tennis community. community. And when I've, I've gone back to visit that place, it's run down and it's not been kept up. And um, I see that a lot in, in tennis. You know, I, I'm drifting a little bit, but I, I heard a, a number that it's really bothersome. I heard a USTA national person speak of the retention in junior tennis tournaments, and 62% was the number that play one tournament and they don't play another one. So I really, at that I'm in the tennis business. I want people, no matter what their level, to get into tennis enjoy the relationships and and I think those relationships at some point in their lives no matter what stage will help them and it's a great life sport um yeah you know it's done it's done so many good things for me I just want these kids to to learn from it but it's once again we're we're getting our societies drifting from delayed gratification so and it's right. definitely delayed gratification but anyway, the UTR, the UTR is is brilliant in the quantification of that level, and I think their idea of creating tennis communities at a local level is is great. And I hope the USCA can, and I know they're going to come out with a rating in 2020 to probably you know compete with UTR. But you know, once again, UTR is for profit right now and in usca is a non-profit governing body of you know our it's our national governing body so i want to support tennis and so if if one or the other has um you know a way to promote and grow tennis in my area i'm going to use one or both of those so Right. I mean, you mentioned that 62% number. I wonder if UTR has done the the data or, you know, researched the numbers yet and found out what their retention rate is or, you know, repeat. Well, I guess it's not really a retention rate, but how many of the kids that play a UTR event play another UTR event? And I wonder how that compares to that 62% loss in USTA. I think there, since UTR is relatively new, I mean, we've been using it. I mean, as soon as they let it out there, I think we're, we're, we were ahead. We were using it when we just had outdoor courts. So I know we've been using it three or four years. But um, I don't know if they've had time to do that number. But I, what I see, in whether it's a UTR event, um, We've we've done some one day tournaments and used a, a platform called Court Hive, and Charles Allen is brilliant to develop that platform. But and UTR was kind enough to to let us use that. I was mainly looking for a schedule of play in the tournament management system, and UTR has just now come out with a schedule of play. So in the meantime, when I did use Court Hive. Um, what I've noticed when we do level-based matches, and I brought this up, is that we've had over 1,300 matches in less than two years. 
in our events, and we've had one O and O. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, the retention. I mean, if I see kids come off the court, and when the score's relatively close, where the loser gets seven games, you know, even though the the score was seven five six two, there's a winner with no points awarded, and the loser is like, okay, I want to I want to try it again. I want to play again. I know I can. I, I could have won that first set. So. So even though they lost, they they get a little credit for for playing a, a good person or a comparable person relatively close, and so they're 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 not discouraged. Whereas when you if you box people in to an age or even a gender, it can be very discouraging. And the challenge with UTR on on our end was getting and this is going to be for everybody is you know just this past weekend we we went over mindfulness with a lot of the kids an 11 year old boy beat a 17 year old boy and that's tough for that 17 year old but it was seven five six four and the 17 year old's only been playing a year year and a half and 11 year old's been playing you know since he's four so being mindful in how to treat that opponent is important that's a good life lesson and it's also tough you know we have we have a couple um you know it's tough for boys that are we have a, we had a senior at, at Ensworth losing to a girl that's in our program who's who's here in town as a foreign exchange student and she beat him six four six three well that's within the competitive threshold it was a good match and and the and it's tough for a boy to lose to a to a strong female, but you know tennis is is pretty much co-ed, and until you get to really a, a D one men's level or a really strong D one men's level, women and men can compete together, and the men serves may be a little bit harder, but Serena Williams serves a lot harder than a lot of the guys on tour now, so. I think it's a great uh, sport. I think UTR does a great job with with helping group players. Um, you know, it's not tennis is just it's not age based. I still play, and I don't go look for you know three other people within a year under me or a year older than me right. to play. I, right. It's just it's level based. That's not new. And right. the great thing, if pros at clubs would understand, there is a third party out there, and that third party is UTR, and they're helping us group players. I mean, we have six indoor courts. The better players are on court one, and you know, out of that our tournament group, the the better tournament players are on court one, and it goes down to court six. Generally, at the end of the clinic or group session will allow for some type of game for them to to migrate up to the top but they have to earn that and and it's great fun but it it usually works out pretty much the way that where we initially set them so it's it's been it's been a good ride so far i hope it continues i hope the usta has wonderful luck with um with their, I, I know they will. I know that some of the people involved in that USDA new rating system, but 
I, I just have nothing but positive things to say about it because it, it's going to keep more people in the game, whether, you know, I, we're pretty busy at Endsworth. I want every club around Nashville to be busy. And I right. want every club around Tennessee to be busy. And I want every club around the South to be busy. And then the nation. And then beyond that, you know, internationally, I think tennis is what the fourth most popular sport in the world. So I think we're missing something with the way we handle junior tennis. And I mean, I mention it and it, it's, the problem is change is hard for anybody, but um, UTR is marketing, their marketing plan is very, very sharp, um, you know, with their relationship with the Tennis Channel. You know, they'll put up the pros UTRs. Well, that's silly. I mean, but that's great marketing, but it's silly to compare the UTRs of pros. They, they're already, they're going to be a competitive match. I mean, they can beat each other, and that's what UTR was designed to do. But the marketing behind it is to say, hey, they have a UTR. You can have one, too. So at the pro level, it's, I think, it's, it, this is my opinion, it's, it's silly to compare pros UTR, UTRs, just like it's silly in 12s and 14s to rank players with points per round as they do in pros. I think I think USCA really needs to rethink that. The only way you can create or you can yeah create a ranking system fairly and accurately is if all the players play the same tournaments and, and they're they're just not going to do that. Right. So <clears throat> so I, I think going Sometimes going backwards and learning through history is a is a good thing. You know, you don't have to really reinvent the wheel. I think if we were to go back and see how what tennis did in the tennis boom, I mean, there's a lot of competing factors here in Nashville. We have the Predators and the Titans, and you know, we're getting ready to have an MLS soccer team. But tennis communities. You know, they, they last well beyond, you know, your football playing days or your basketball playing days or whatever. But um, I would like tennis to, to go back and take a look and really think about level-based play. And, and I think it's important that we have accurate rankings, not just ratings, but rankings in a city like Nashville, you know, and if then we have... X amount of those kids in our city qualify for state, and then we have X amount of those state players, if it's accurate, qualify for Southern, and then you have X amount of the sectional, when I'm in the Southern section, X amount of those qualify for national, and then from there you go international. That that will help the USTA grow memberships and grow tennis because locally if we get x amount of players in our in the state tournament because of our USTA membership number you know we're all going to be out here selling it we're mm -hmm. going to be promoting it no matter what level hey we've got 
it's just like Atlanta, the the mecca of tenants around the South. There's so many USCA members. If we did that in Nashville and we knew we could get two more kids from our city into the state, um, you know, we'd be out there telling everybody, you know, join USCA, play locally. You don't have to travel. Um, but there are, it's like they're almost encouraging homeschooling with, with Monday finals or semifinals in some of these tournaments. Um, they're flooding the sectional, you know, the, there's so many different elf, southern L3s, southern level one. I mean, there's southern level 1A. I mean, it's, if, if my wife can't understand it, she didn't play, if it can't be put on a one pager, it's too complicated. Just make it simple and grow tennis. <laughs> so you are preaching just, to the choir, Greg. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I, and, and I know they don't want to trim their employees. I, I get what they're – I mean, I know they're in the business of making money, but it's just very obvious to the people that know tennis who've been in it a long time that points per round for junior tennis is not an accurate way to rank. I mean, I can look at the state rankings in Tennessee, and I know the girl who's 14 should be one or two. She just doesn't care to play any state-level events because she can play a national-level event. But I would love for her to go through the proper channels and for all of the people in Nashville to see who she is and tennis get back on the news and get back, you know, among the all the media, social media, news media, for those that still read newspapers, that media. Um, if she were to go through a local channel and we all know who she is, get to meet her, you know, then we support her through the state and then we support her through the section, then she actually earned her national um, entry. Whereas, like, my kid is a great kid, and the reason I get up every day, um, she has no business playing a, a high sectional event or a national event, but I can get her in it because I can write the check and I can drive over. And, you know, if it's, you know, sometimes I can get her in it. It just depends on, you know, the the time of the tournament and how popular you know, a lot of people might be vacationing during Christmas or something, but right. it there's there's just so many things that could be talked out if people would shelf their ego and it's got to be my idea or whatever to to get it right. And I wish, you know, I wish they'd get it right because that 62% number is if you're in any business, if you're selling furniture, if you're selling houses, insurance i don't care when you hear 62 percent are not coming back you're going to go bankrupt and that's that's kind of what we're seeing in in tennis and i know our high performance kids they're going to be good no matter what i mean there's if you do something um if you if you have the ability and you have some resources we're gonna we're gonna spit out some good you know, high performance kids, but it's it shouldn't be all about that. It should be at every level because really, the masses are the ones that that unfortunately kind of fund or or promote those top players. 
Sure. Look how many people and support them. I mean, you know, yeah. Look at. I mean, how many of us can go out and do what those football guys do? But the stadiums are full. We love Americans love violence, I guess. But I mean, (laughs) it's. I mean, football is it's great. I love watching it. Now I couldn't I couldn't play it. I played one year, and I'm I'm. I was a little guy, and so that one year was kind of rough, but I loved baseball and basketball, and I still like pretty much all sports, but I'm still a a person that considers themselves an athlete, and I'm in my 50s because I can still go out and, I mean, at Innsworth, there's maybe, I mean, maybe that that one senior boy can beat me if he's going to have a good day, but... I still like being considered among an athletic group. And, you know, I've been doing this a long, long time. And um, I'd, I'd really like to get back to local, state, sectional, national, international. And, uh, you know, I'm curious to see how this UTR, USTA stuff works out. But it's, it's unfortunate because I don't think the relationship between the two is great. Um, maybe it will be as, as, you know, we're all trying to support tennis, but it gets a little, I've been in the business, the for-profit side, and I'm trying to compete with the non-profit side. And it's, it's just a little more challenging, but right now I see a UTR event as a much more, as, as a much better product for the participants and actually the, the viewers um than the than the age gender base because there's just too many o and o's in the age gender base mm-hmm. well, I want to touch on two things I want to dig into a little deeper. The first is this whole idea of mindfulness that you mentioned uh with your tournament and how that fits into the level based play concept, and the second is how parents and junior coaches should be using UTR for player development. So let's start with the mindfulness aspect. You you mentioned that you did some mindfulness training before your event. What did that entail? Well, it's, it's really, um, gosh, you probably need to know me a little bit better, but um, you know, the people that do know me, sometimes I can come off as a little edgy. And if you're in the tennis business and working 70 hours a week, um, you understand. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little, um, I don't know, a little more mindful. But but what I want, what I try to explain, it's not necessarily pre-UTR tournament. It's mainly in our clinics and in our program because since we do use UTR to group our players, um, not their age or their gender, and it's mainly age because some some 15-year-old girls don't understand why the 11-year-old boys are in our top group. And so I have to I usually call the the younger kids in and I, and I have to explain to them, hey, you need to be mindful that this is tough. When you beat a 17-year-old girl or even a 17-year-old boy, you know, you need to be on your best behavior. You need to be a good sport. And, I, and tennis is Junior tennis is very lacking on this. I hear too many "Are you sure's," and it can get to where you're almost bullying a person to make a a call in your favor if you've questioned them numerous times. I hear too many "Come ons." 
when somebody dumps a ball in the bottom of the net and you really did nothing to deserve a come on, I hear a lot of it's a lot of gamesmanship. And unfortunately, we've gotten away from really the good life lessons and teaching these kids that they're probably not going to make a whole lot of money playing unless you're in that top percentage of a percentage. I mean, so you need to try to compete respectfully and be mindful of how that other person, I mean, I want you to compete and and win, but I, I don't want, there's a certain way you should do that. And especially when you're clinicking with them and they're a part of your program, you're going to want you know, a job reference. You may need a job. You may need an employee if you're running a company. And you're going to look back when you're younger, and those are going to be the people you remember, how they treated you on the tennis court. And and you'll hopefully be playing tennis with them in your 20s and 30s and 40s and even older. So mindfulness, you know, our, that's the good thing about being in a school. We have a lot of, we have a lot of great teachers and a lot of very influential, you know, wise leaders of our school. And we have a lot of these seminars that that talk and address these issues, you know, from social media to mindfulness to things like that. So that topic, you need to see that in tournaments. And, and you know, once again, I just, I'm a little rough on some of the kids if if they're playing some tournaments and they get away with whatever they get away with because they're good you know if they're i just like them to compete respectfully like a fetter nadal match you will see you know the fist pump but it's not a personal thing and I, with age and gender being mixed i think there needs to be some education to the parents and the players about that the appropriate type of competing. And I'm not saying you let your foot off the pedal. I'm saying, you know, if you can win, oh, no, good luck, because they're you're usually in a flight where they're just as good as you. But there is a way to compete respectfully. And in junior tennis, unfortunately, and I've read a lot of books and a lot of articles about it from people that played 20, 30 years ago, they're shocked with what goes on now. And um and, you know, that's I'm not there's just a, a percentage of people that can give the big group a black eye. But I really I, I, we don't put up with a lot of stuff because of our facility and us being a K through 12 school. We don't really have to. And and I think that even though if if a kid does something that's not good, if I go out and have a simple conversation and ask them, you know, or just remind them that they're not the only court playing and the tournament's not all about them and they need to just keep their mouth shut and compete and and do it respectfully. You know, I've gotten a lot of parents come up and thank me. Mm-hmm. And and but in the same you know, when I'm when I'm tired or when I'm tired of, you know, being the bad guy or I feel you know, I don't want to be the bad guy. I want to be able to, you know, high five the kids and tell them what a great job they're doing. I'm, I want to tell the parents, why aren't you the one doing this? It's your job. Right. So, but it's, um, it, that's a challenge. And I think that that is a hard one, but 
I was a, a, a soccer manager when my daughter played travel soccer and you know, I'm I'm probably a t- little vocal like my mom was. I get it naturally from Little League Baseball. I'd hear my mom cheering for us. I cheer and I'm, you know, I don't cheer as much because I'm getting older. I'm a little more tired, but. Um, <laughs> I feel your uh, pain, Greg. <laughs> yeah, the, the soccer embraces parent involvement, you know, and I, and I have a ton of parents, a ton of friends that know tennis. And I really feel like I could take some of those parents and put them on a 10 and under court, not put a high school kid out there, put a parent out there. And and they honestly have the best interest of those two 10 and under kids at, at heart. And so they would help them, you know, with 30-15 is on the ad side or no, that ball was in. It wasn't It wasn't out. And when you're not sure you give your opponent the benefit of the doubt and you call it in. You don't see that. You, that's not taught as much as it was when I was a kid. Well, and, are are the kids receptive to the conversation about, you know, being mindful of the fact that they may be several years younger or, you know, a, a gender that's different that. Yeah. That's, um, that's a they, great question. That, that's a great question. They, they are. I mean, they don't really have a choice. I mean, with me, they don't have a choice. Now, I have a staff that I don't want the staff to to get confrontational with the kids or the parents. I mean, I think that's if that does happen to happen, I think I have the experience to to have that conversation. I don't want it to get confrontational. But the kids, you know, they're kids, and and I, I usually don't have any really really tough conversations unless a relationship, a positive relationship, has already been developed. And so our kids know that I have their best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. Now, if we we don't lose many, and if if we do lose some because I'm telling them to be mindful, then that's fine. Don't let the door hit you, you know? So if they don't want to play by the rules that we're laying out there, which I think help everyone, then, then they don't have to, they can go somewhere else. There, there are plenty of people around that put up with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, I just think it's a good thing. You know, we're not just training them to be good tennis players, you know, because eventually their tennis career is going to end. We're, we're training them to be good people. And one of the best people that I've met is our donor. Mm-hmm. You know, so so people that that learn and and receive through gifts like our tennis center. You know, if they can grow up and remember that they were able to play because of someone else's gift, then maybe they'll be. You know, maybe we'll just have a kinder society and a kinder sport. If we were to do that, I love that. Well, let's shift let's shift gears a little bit and talk about how parents and coaches should be using level based play and UTR, because of course I know you've heard all the stories um, being involved in junior tennis as you are about people trying to game the system and you know avoiding matches and pulling out of back draws because they're afraid it's going to negatively impact their rating what it, what's your advice well i think 
that's you know that's that's a tough question the uh, the backdraw issue i think sometimes usda may or utr or whoever we we overdo it a little bit because we were charging a fee to play that tournament sometimes i think you know i remember back when i brought the can of balls and the, the winner took the new can and advanced and the loser went home sometimes if, if the kids aren't playing consolation because they're ducking or trying to game the system let's not offer a consolation i don't think they do in europe so i mean we're, we're almost trying to guarantee too many matches you know i everybody's always going to try to game something and, and my advice through a lot of years of experience is play just just play just improve and get better and and at the end of the day at the end of the year whatever your rating or your ranking or your your level it's a, it's going to work its way out and and you're it's going to be right but the the best way for you to improve is to play and there there's a kind of a mentor of mine his name is peter van lingen a south south african guy who was he's about 20 years older than me and he's struggling with cancer right now and i hope he can pull through and I, th I hear he's doing really well but when i first moved to nashville he was he was you know one of the top play he was the top player in town and um he taught tennis and i remember as a kid him standing up and people were talking about rankings and that's all we had but the city rankings were a big deal and the state rankings were extremely accurate and peter stood up and he said the one advice i have for these parents and kids is don't duck players don't just because you have a win over them don't not play the next tournament that's convenient for you um just because you know you you might lose to them the next time and that might affect your ranking well looking back those players that were ducking i mean it did it did them no good i mean it didn't doesn't matter i mean it didn't deter their college scholarship opportunity or it didn't enhance it it's just it's an ego thing and we uh, most of us need to shelf our egos a lot of times so for the for the greater good of of whatever we're involved with whether that be swimming or basketball or tennis or teaching history or whatever but um the gaming the system thing with the utr it's you know i, I know there's been a couple changes and you know unfortunately some of my good friends are no longer with utr but if if you're playing it's my understanding that if you play four games it counts so if the score is two all i'll, I'll input two all in the management system and it really isn't is going to have almost no impact um to the not playing consolation you know the usta wise i just I really am against the points per round, but the, you know, with UTR, if you don't play the match, it has no effect, positive or negative. With USTA, you know, the the one thing that comes to mind is a, is a recent, um, you know, the icy hot level Southern mm -hmm. in, in Knoxville, there was a girl in our, well, two girls that are play at, at our school a lot, and uh, they're great kids. And one girl won three matches, 
and actually defeated the other girl 0 and 1. And and there was a girl that got a default from a seated player in the consolation. And she won no matches, but she got a, a default from the seated player who was, you know, withdrew with injury, but you know, still played doubles, so she couldn't have been hurt that bad. And um the the girl that won no matches with a default that won won by default ends up with more points than the girl who won three matches. Right. So right there, right there is evidence that points per round is is jacked up. It's, it doesn't work, and it's not indicative of of anything. I mean, it's just it's silly. And the, there there are so many people that have a 16 year old kid. And they've been involved in tennis between, you know, 10 and, and 20 years. And there are people that have been involved in tennis for a lot longer than that, me being one of those and most of my friends. And all they know is points per round. And that's that they think that's it. And that needs to be reexamined. I mean, it just. Uh, and there should be at, at a national level event. I mean, do. I mean, if we're going to do points per round like the pros do, I mean, when was the last time you saw Federer in the backdrop? Right. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I just, I mean, really, at certain levels, and I'd say it's at a sectional level or a national level, don't have a backdrop. You know, if you if you're really into it and you're and you're going to spend the money, you know, let's not let's don't encourage homeschool. Education's important, so let's encourage tennis. But if if you're gonna if you think doing it points per round right, I mean, then you be consistent. If the, that's that, if the pros are doing it that way, I have not seen a pro tournament with a backdraw. So bag the backdraw. I think that's an easy thing to do now in, at a state level where it's not costing you that much money, or a local level because you're not traveling and you want to give the players more matches, and those are the players that actually need more matches. You know, have a compass draw, have a, you know, a feed in or whatever. And if they don't play, don't let them back in your tournament. I mean, it's simple. Right. <laughs> Eventually, they're going to get it. But, well, but problem- and U- UTR has added a, a designation that shows when a player has withdrawn, right? Has right. Has pulled out of a tournament. So at least... From a college coach's standpoint, you know, which as these kids get into high school, of course, you know, if they're college bound for tennis, that's they're concerned about what the college coaches are looking at. The coaches do see if a player has pulled out repeatedly from matches or tournaments, which I think is good. That's yeah, that's great. And what's you know, it's there's always a a downside. you know, when you, if you take a stand against some of that, but you know, there's being at a high school, there's just so many, you know, adolescent issues that come up on the girl's side. If they have to withdraw or a kid's prone to cramping and, and you know, you don't want to punish the kids that are withdrawing for the, for a right reason. But I think, you know, when a kid withdraws from singles, if they're seated and they don't play in the back draw, and then they continue to play in doubles. Well, I think that needs to be examined or noted, and that person may need 
a three-month suspension or whatever because they're gaming the system a little bit. I think there needs to be something in place. Um, they're, they're really just hurting themselves, but if something were in place to deter that, you know, call it what you want, but it's just it's not the right thing to do. So sometimes you have to penalize people, unfortunately, to to deter that bad behavior. So, you know, we one you know, I'm trying to be mindful and, and make sure I don't penalize someone unnecessarily. I want to make sure I know all the details before, you know Right. You have to put a penalty in place. So Well, there are some USTA sections that have started issuing penalty points, you know, suspension points for withdrawing. Yeah, I mean that's that's great. But once again if it's a section or a national tournament, and, and I've seen it, there's a lot of withdrawals, and a lot of times it's because the the matches are scheduled during the school day. Right. So, so let's not do that. You can complete the tournament. <laughs> but that's so logical, Greg. <laughs> that's yeah. way too logical. <laughs> but there was a time when we had, you know, most of the tournaments were during the summer or during right. a break. And now, you know, if there are places where they can host an indoor tournament in the winter, uh, you know, we could partner here in Nashville with another club and have a, have a tournament. You know, the sometimes everybody's so territorial, but I, I get when you're, you, you almost have to be territorial in the tennis business when that number 62% for God's sakes, if the number were to go down to 20%, you're not territorial because you don't have any room for anybody else. Right, right. No, you know, so well, you, listen, you actually... Here in Atlanta, collect- we have multiple tournaments a weekend, every week. Multiple well, tournament the, opportunities. One it's of craziness. The coolest things, yeah, the, one of the, the things that when I I was lucky enough to be asked to, to be with the UTR group, the that original group at a USTA convention in Orlando, maybe I think it was a year ago, but um, a little over a year ago, and I met David Solly from Atlanta, and he, you know, does so many good things in Atlanta. But when he gave his testimony regarding UTR, the the idea behind it, he he hit it right on, you know, he nailed it when he said. I want to give an op- to give the opportunity to a player from Atlanta to get a college scholarship without ever having to leave, um, without with without ever having to travel thirty miles away from Atlanta. And there's so many good players in Atlanta. He can do that. He has he has the courts. He has the coaching staff. He has the knowledge. Um, and there's so many good players that you you don't have to leave Atlanta to to get a college scholarship because UTR is going to take all those matches that are just in Atlanta and you, you your UTR can I mean that girl can go play for Vanderbilt and they're here in Nashville and they do they do pretty well every year. Yeah. And Jeff McDonald's done an unbelievable job with that those girls and there's not a nicer guy in the business. So you know that's that's the the UTR story. That's the story. That's how tennis was in the heyday of tennis. We just didn't call it UTR. We just didn't have the way to quantify that level like UTR does. Right. So 
So right. it's, yeah. Well, I think it's here to stay, and it'll be interesting to see what happens once USTA gets into the rating game and once the ITF gets into the rating game, which we know that's coming as well. And, um, you know, I think there are a lot of changes on the horizon, but uh, I want to just leave our listeners with the fact that level based play is so crucial to the growth of the sport, and it's so crucial to the development of our young players. And so I'm, I'm as a parent of a former junior player, I am very grateful to people like you, Greg, who are putting on these level-based play events week in and week out and giving these kids the opportunity to play not only against their peers, but also against older and younger players, players of the other gender, to really develop their overall tennis skills so that they can reach their highest potential. And, and that's, it, it's, it is, that's my favorite part of my job actually is putting on and organizing these events and watching some of the matches. I mean, while your play site's been great because we can play, do the play fair tournaments, but uh, most of the kids, if they know they're being recorded, they're on a little bit of, better behavior than if they're not recorded but watching those matches it's a thrill to me to see how they handle it and how they deal with with pressure of uncertainty because when you're a lot of times you know you're going to win or you know you're going to lose but in these level-based play they're having to exercise I guess um, the brain is I don't know if it's a muscle or not but brain muscles per se that they normally wouldn't use when there's it's certain when it's uncertain there's pressure and those kids need to be able to deal with that pressure and deal with it respectfully and appropriately and um it's just it's how we all play everybody in a clinic it's funny with level based play in a clinic in a in a teaching environment they want to be on the top court but when they're playing in a tournament, they don't necessarily, I mean, they all want to play up a little bit, but no one really wants to play, I hate to use the word down, but play, play a little below their level. You need to be able to consistently beat players that moonball. And mm-hmm. you're not going to do that unless you do it frequently. I mean, I hear parents say all the time, well, my kid, you know, he lost to a kid you know, that he wasn't as good as, I mean, he, my kid is much better than that kid, but you know, he lost. And I'm like, How? explain that to me again. That that doesn't make any sense. If, you know, the kid that lobs can win, then he should keep lobbing. And so eventually the kid getting lobbed is going to learn how to take the ball in the air or generate more pace or whatever to, to defeat that. But level-based play you see kids getting more motivated to play again and again, and it will, it's going to help tennis. And I hope all parties involved in tennis um, do more of it and, you know, get that 62% number down to a manageable number and, um, and then let more of this younger generation enjoy the benefits of tennis for a longer period of time than they have been for several years. 
Amen. Well, Greg Chambers, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your thoughts and your insight and your experience with all of us regarding UTR and level-based play. And best of luck to you and the Ensworth School as you continue to just shine a light on tennis in your community. I just think it's phenomenal. To my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out ParentingAces.com.